Today we're going to start a new series called The End. You know, The End. The End of the World. That's always been such a fascinating subject, hasn't it? Uh, been the subject of movies and books and lectures and all kinds of things. In fact, people of all kinds of civilizations and all kinds of religions have made countless predictions about whether the world's going to come to an end to not, or not and exactly when that's going to happen. I remember a book that came out called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture is Going to Take Place in 1988. Didn't happen, obviously. <laughs> it's written by a uh, uh, by a retired NASA engineer, by the way. And, and, and he predicted that the rapture of the saints was to occur on the Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah, 1988, somewhere between September the 11th and September the 13th, 1988. The Mayan calendar predicted December the 21st, 2012, the world would come to an end. My pastor father loved to preach and teach about the end time. I grew up hearing sermons and, and, and lessons taught about the end time and the resurrection and the rapture and the new heaven, the new earth and all those kinds of things. Now, while my dad believed that no one could predict the exact time of the end of the world, uh, he did believe it was possible that it might have come at the beginning of the seventh millennium of the existence uh, of the world as we know it. And uh, he did believe in Bishop Usher's chronology, which said the earth was created in 4004 BC. That would mean we're in the seventh millennium right now. And so far, all have been wrong. The world hasn't ended yet. While astronomers change their prediction periodically based on information available, the current wisdom right now is that the sun is going to go dormant in about 10 billion years. Probably won't be around for that. But, but listen, hey, it gets closer than that because in about 5 billion years, best prediction, uh, the, the sun is going to reach the red giant stage and its outer layers will reach Mars and it would be burn the earth up anyway. So no worry, we're not going to have to worry about 10 billion years, 5 billion years, but we don't even have to worry about that because humans will be gone long before that, according to astronomers' predictions, in about 1 billion years, because the sun is increasing in brightness by about 10% every billion years. Now, according to sciencealert.com, that doesn't sound like much, but that increase in brightness will end life on Earth, our oceans will evaporate, the surface will become too hot for water to form, will be about as kaput as you can get. That sound, I guess that's a scientific uh, word there, about as kaput as you can get. Well, I don't know about you, but Christians in general have grown up with words like Armageddon, rapture, great tribulation. Maybe you've, some of those words or other words. Now, I'm going to tell you this as we get started. Something that we as Christians are not supposed to do is give up put on a white robe, go stand on top of a mountain somewhere waiting for Jesus to come back again. We're not supposed to drop out of society. We're not supposed to go off the grid with our weapons and our rations and let everybody else burn up. Christians are not supposed to do that kind of stuff. We are to watch for the return of Jesus by doing the work uh, that he has for us to do, which has to do with serving 
other people. Here's what Jesus said to his followers concerning the fall of Jerusalem and the end of this present world. Matthew's gospel, chapter 24, verse 14. By the way, yesterday morning, uh, family was sitting around the breakfast table and Todd and Cassie and Connor and Caitlin come over for breakfast on Sunday morning. And somehow the subject of this morning's message came up and Caitlin, who's uh, going in, she's in the seventh grade now, she brought up this verse of scripture. Well, granddad, she says, isn't the world gonna end after the gospel is preached? all over the world. And I said, yeah, I think I'll better include that scripture tomorrow morning. So that's why I'm reading Matthew 24, 14. Jesus said in this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. There is an end coming later in that same chapter, Matthew 24, verse 35, Jesus said this heaven and earth will pass away but my words will never pass away. Verse 36, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son as a human being on the earth, but only the father. Of course, the question comes, if no one can know, why are people continually trying to predict when the end will come? I don't know, go ask them. You know, I don't try to do that particular thing. Last week though, we read the apostle Paul who said in, in 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, he talked about the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And that's one of the uh, phrases that's used throughout the New Testament, that the end will come or Jesus's initial return will come as a thief in the night. That is unexpectedly. Jesus said, here's what we're supposed to do. Verse 42, Matthew 24, 42. I'm not gonna read that whole chapter, but he has a lot to say. Verse 42, he said, therefore keep watch. Be on the lookout because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. You can't predict what day your Lord will come. Then in verse 45, he said this, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them food at the proper time? Verse 46, it will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. What are we supposed to be doing we're supposed to be watching and we watch by working, doing the work that God has for us to do and we will be ready then when Jesus returns. The apostle Peter wrote about those in the end time who would scoff, uh, make fun of, oh yeah, these predictions, nothing has happened yet, everything remains the same. And here's what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse nine. He said, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. He made a promise, he's gonna keep the promise. He's not procrastinating. He's not saying, well, I think I'll just wait a little bit longer. That's not what it is. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Here's why he hasn't come back yet. He's trying to give everybody the opportunity to repent and to trust in him. But verse 10, the day of the Lord will come it's gonna come like a thief. A thief catches people unawares. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. That word elements, we know about the heavens, we know about the earth, the heavens, that's the earth's atmosphere and everything above it. We know what the earth is. The elements, the word itself, means the elements from which all things have come, the material causes of the universe. Verse 11, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people 
ought you to be. You ought to be holy. You ought to live holy, godly lives. And we'll just stop there. Not the main text for this morning, but that word destroyed, since everything will be destroyed. In many translations, that's translated dissolved. And the word actually means to loosen up or to dissolve or to undo. And that gives me this picture. You know, Paul said that about God, in him all things are held together, consist. God holds everything together. He didn't just create it. He keeps it working. He holds everything together. And I, I have this thought in my mind, could, wrong as everybody else's thought is or whatever, but my thought is, is that all God has to do, he's going to get us, we're all out of here first, of course, is just remove his hand from the universe and every atomic bond will break. You know what happens when you break an atomic bond? It's an atomic explosion. Can you imagine every atom in the universe losing its consistency all at the same time? Talk about a big bang. That will be the biggest bang that ever has been. The, book, the message of the book of Revelation is that a lot of bad stuff is going to happen on this planet after God removes us. War, racial tension, natural and environmental disaster, spiritual punishment. But Christians can take assurance and comfort in the fact that God is in control and he will rescue us from the worst of that time. Tens of thousands of books and sermons and lectures have been written and taught on all the minutia uh, that we know or conjecture about the end time. But here's my plan for the next couple of weeks. My plan is to give you the basics of what Jesus and the apostles taught about the return of Christ to this earth and the end of everything as we know it. Good, intelligent Bible students disagree on a lot of the details. You know, that just means, to me, just indicates that it's not that important for us to know what the details are, you know. Uh, have some fun. Discuss it. But if God wanted us to know all the details, he would have made it a little bit more clear. Some stuff that we'll talk about sounds kind of weird. Just it's strange, unnatural, otherworldly. It is, you know. Uh, you know, weird's kind of popular today. People like weird. As long as it doesn't come from God or religion, they love weird. Here's the plan. Today we're going to talk about the hope that we as Christians have in the return of Jesus. Next week, we're going to examine what happens to Christians and non-Christians after the return of Jesus. And in week number three, I'm going to give you a 30-minute summary of the book of Revelation. Okay? Can't wait for that one. Uh, all the, high, all the, the highest of the high points in the book of Revelation. But for today, we're going to examine something that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, a church he founded during the second missionary journey in about 51 AD. And I like to put a map up every once in a while because I want to show you this is a real place. Uh, right there in the middle of the map, on the left side is the boot of, of uh, Italy coming down. And on the right side is modern-day Turkey. And right in the middle, that's the Greek peninsula that stretches down. And at the top, you can see the cities of Neapolis, Philippi, Amphipolis, Thessalonica, Berea, and near the bottom, Athens, Corinth, and Centuria. Uh, Paul made that journey. He established churches in some of those cities. And one of those cities is the, is the city of Thessalonica. And he wrote two letters back to that church called 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians 
uh, in New Testament scripture. And we're going to look at a passage from the first letter that he wrote to that church. When Paul wrote this first letter to the church, it was a young church full of very young Christians, probably not more than two or three years uh, having come to faith in Jesus Christ. And one of the issues was that they expected Jesus to come back during their own lifetime. That's been common among Christians, by the way, for two millennia, expecting Jesus to come back during their own lifetime. And so they were a little bit confused because they said, if Jesus is supposed to going to come back in our lifetime, what about uh, our, our loved ones and our friends who have already died? Uh, how's he going to handle that? And so uh, here's this passage, and I often read this, by the way, at the graveside, you know, at, uh, at a funeral, standing beside the grave, because I like to, for cemeteries to be a place of future and hope. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, the apostle wrote this, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Let me just stop there. That word sleep, uh, in the original uh, uh, Greek language, it's just the word sleep. It's not sleep in death. But the word is often used to mean death, and it obviously does mean death here. This is not soul sleep. It's body sleep because the soul is at home with the Lord after the body dies. Followers of Jesus Christ have hope beyond death and hope beyond this particular world. Verse 14. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. So we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. He said, you don't have to worry about those who died before you because their souls are coming back with Jesus when he comes back. Verse 15. We'll talk more about that in a minute, by the way. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive and some will be who are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. When Jesus comes down from heaven, the first thing that happens is the resurrection of the dead saints. The souls of the dead come with him and the bodies are resurrected. Verse 17, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. That phrase caught up is where we get our idea and our word rapture. Therefore, verse 18 says, encourage one another with these words. And that's what I want to do. I want to encourage you with those words that the apostle Paul left for us. Three things that the hope we have as Christians. Number one is in this, in the return. Christ is coming back to this earth again. He came and sacrificed himself and uh, gained victory over hell and over death in his original coming to the earth. He is coming back again for us. Jesus told us that before he left. In John's gospel, chapter 14, verse 1, he said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In other words, I'm God. You believe in God, believe in me. Verse 2, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? I, when I leave here, it's all about you. Verse three, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Verse four, you know the way to the place where I'm going. That's when Doubting Thomas raises his hand. 
He said, we don't even know what you're talking about. I'm paraphrasing here. We don't even know what you're talking about. We don't know how, we don't know where you're talking, where you're talking about going. How can we know the way? That's where Jesus made that, that famous statement of his, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Uh, he, he clearly stated, I'm coming back for you who believe, and I am the way to get there. In his final letter to Timothy, by the way, the apostle Paul said that when he was ready to die, he said, I have a, a crown waiting for me. He called it the crown of righteousness. And he said, it's, it's not only for me, but it's for everybody that loves or longs for his appearing. If you, if you uh, uh, work for Jesus and study about Jesus and you long for his return, there's a special reward for you. Jean and I, Jean's my wife, she's in the nursery this morning, but uh, we grew up in similar churches. We didn't know each other. You know, she was a little farther north. I was in Miami. She was up the coast a little bit. But my dad, who was my pastor, and her pastor were good buddies, and they used to argue all the time about the return of Christ and the rapture and the resurrection and the details and all that kind of stuff. So we all heard these sermons about how Jesus is coming back, and it could be really soon. Uh, she did confide in me after our marriage that, that she did want Jesus to come back, but she asked him not to come back before she could get married anyway. You know, she'd like to, she'd like to experience that in her life. I think we're all a little that way, aren't we? That we, uh, yeah, we want the Lord to come back, but I got a couple of things I'd like to do uh, before that happens. Uh, well, just live your life. Uh, it, may, it could happen very quickly, but just live your life and do the things that God puts there for you to do. Paul wrote, we're going to go back to our text now. Paul wrote about the resurrection in our scripture verse for today. 1 Thessalonians 4, 14, he said this. Christ's coming back and the resurrection will be the first thing that happens. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. So we believe that God will bring Jesus, bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Paul is talking about Christians who have died already. When Jesus returns, he will bring the souls of the Christians who have died with him. Then he continued, verse 16, a couple verses down. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and the, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That is, before the believers are caught up, who are still on this earth, are caught up or raptured, the dead in Christ are going to rise first. Each will receive a new and glorified body that we're not gonna take time to, to read about. Yeah, but what about those people that got cremated? What about those people that just got vaporized, you know, some weapon of war or some terrible explosion? What about people who have been beaten by fish and by animals? Uh, God, hey, God created everything. He can take care of that, right? I get, those are some of those questions that people ask. God can take care of all those situations. And by the way, this might be a good time to say with regard, regard to the return of Jesus that uh, there seems to be two of everything. You know, there's two of everything. Uh, two parts in Jesus' return. What we're reading about is what we call the air part, you know, where he just comes uh, and catches us up and we leave for a while and things get really bad down here on this earth. Uh, and then there's the part where he comes to the earth and there's that thing called Armageddon. So there's, there's two parts to his return. There's two judgments mentioned in scripture. 
One is called the judgment seat of Christ. That's for believers. The other is called the great white throne judgment mentioned in Revelation chapter 20. That's for non-believers. There are two resurrections that are mentioned. John called them the resurrection of life and the resurrection of judgment, the first resurrection and the second resurrection. Book of Revelation talks about that. Revelation chapter 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection, the resurrection of believers, the resurrection of the saved people. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. The first resurrection, the resurrection of life. That's what we've been talking about this morning. The first resurrection is the one you want to be, be a part of because the second death has no power over people who are in the first resurrection. Oh yeah, there's two births and two deaths <laughs> that are also mentioned in scripture, right? The first birth is physical. You all have that. I can tell that. You're here. Uh, you've, you've experienced the physical birth. <clears throat> Whether you knew who they were or not, you have a mama and you have a daddy. The second birth is spiritual birth. It's birth into God's kingdom. It's what Jesus called when he was talking to Nicodemus as recorded in John's gospel chapter three, he called it being born again. Those who have been born again into God's family are the ones that have part in the first resurrection, but not the second death. We'll talk about that in a minute. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 14 says this. We'll know what the second death is. Here it is. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. This final place of punishment for all who have rejected Christ is the second death. Death is a separation. Physical death takes place when the spirit leaves the body. James, the half-brother of Jesus, said the body without spirit is dead. That's physical death. Spiritual death, the second death, is when a person is separated from God for eternity this place called the sea or the lake of fire. So uh, the hope we have as Christians is that if we're believers in Jesus Christ, he's coming back for us. And we don't have to worry about that second death at all. Here's the second thing. <clears throat> Not just the return, but the rapture. Christians take hope in that. Living Christians will be taken away off this planet. That's that. You ever see stories and movies and so forth that try to be biblically based, they try to say, well, what's it going to be like? Boom, you know, all of a sudden, somebody's not there that was there before. <clears throat> Let's read about that again. First Thessalonians, this is where we started, chapter four, verse 17. After that, after this resurrection takes place, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them. We're going to be raptured or taken up <clears throat> in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we will be with the Lord forever from that point on. The rapture, I think, technically is part of the first resurrection. We're all part of that first going. So we're part of the first resurrection over which the second death has no power. Immediately after the dead in Christ are raised from the dead and given new bodies, those Christians who are still living when Jesus comes back will be caught up together with them in the air. I can say, I grew up, my dad just was convinced that it was going to take place during his lifetime. It didn't. He's been dead for 50 years, almost 50, 49 years now. The apostle Paul described it like this, 1 Corinthians 15, 51. He said, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. Everybody's not going to die. 
Some people are going to be alive when Jesus comes back. We will not all sleep, but we all, we will all be changed. That is, we're going to, we're not going to, we're going to live forever in a body, but it's not this body. It's something new without sin and without pain and, you know, an immortal body. How's it going to happen? Verse 52, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, we've read about that trumpet call of God, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. So we got the return of Christ with, and the resurrection. We have the rapture, the, 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 the taking away of living Christians. And one more thing, one more thing that we take comfort and hope in as Christians is the reunion, that is Christians will be with God forever. We, we like to think about seeing mom and daddy again one day or brother and sister or son or daughter uh, one day. Will the circle be unbroken, you know, and that kind of thing. But the greatest reunion is us in Christ, us in God. You know, that's the real reunion that's going to be taking place. So back to 1 Thessalonians one more time. 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. After that, the resurrection, we who are still alive and our left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Verse 18, therefore encourage one another with these words. The picture is of a quick trip to Jesus and a body change, right? Uh, uh, and boom, and boom, and there we are. Uh, from then on forever, we are in God's immediate presence. A lot of really bad stuff is gonna happen down here after we go up there. We'll talk about some of that later. But, and we're gonna talk a little bit more about this later, but in this place with God forever, and God's forever, There'll be no more death, no sorrow, no crying, no poverty, no sickness, no pain, no mental limitations, no hatred, no anything else of a negative nature. Most of us have it so good on this planet that we only think about heaven briefly, if at all, at a funeral, you know, and somebody we love has left this earth and we think about that place uh, that they have gone. Uh, it just, it's a place that's so much better that we can't even imagine it. By the way, there's a lot of Christians around the world today and in the past that uh, think about heaven a lot because they have nothing on this planet. We have a lot of stuff on this planet. But this place that we call heaven in general and we'll be more specific about it later, uh, is better than we can possibly imagine. And if you have loved ones who are in that place, they are in the perfect place. I love living right here on this planet. I love my family. I love knowing and serving you. I love going to Fort Pickens and see, looking into the water at six o'clock on a Friday morning and a lot of other things. But the most beautiful uh, and the best places on this earth are but a pale reflection of that place that we call heaven, the new heaven and the new earth. Not a cloud somewhere, but a firm earth that we will live on. We started reading a passage from the Apostle Paul, this letter to the church at Corinth and about how we're not all gonna die, but we're all gonna be changed, you know, get that new body. And I'm gonna conclude 
by reading a few more verses from that passage, 1 Corinthians 15, chapter 15, verses 52 through 58. <clears throat> Verse 52, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable and will be changed. Verse 53, for the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable. This, this part of me that gets sick and breaks, has to have surgeries, gets wounded, that, that, that uh, is gonna be imperishable. It won't be breaking down anymore. And this part of me that dies, the mortal, has to be clothed with or replaced with immortality, no more death, verse 54. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up by victory or in victory. Verse 55, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Death has lost. God has defeated the final enemy. Verse 56, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. 57, but thanks be to God. And this is important. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The victory doesn't come because I'm so great. The victory doesn't come because I'm better than everybody else. The victory comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what am I supposed to do? I have the victory. I belong to God. I've trusted in Christ. I have the victory. He hasn't come back yet. I think I have a few more years or until he comes back. What am I supposed to do? 58, verse 58 tells us. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Be solid. Don't be swayed by, oh, I saw this on television and I saw that on television and they dug this up. Don't be swayed. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Believe the promise that God has given that he is returning to this earth. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Make doing what God wants you to do the primary calling of your life because all that other stuff, and, and some of it's necessary. You gotta go to work every day. You gotta make money. You gotta make a living. I'm not saying don't work, uh, but I'm saying God's work is the number one thing it alone is not wasted. It alone will last forever. You can do God's work on your job, by the way. You can do God's work on your vacation. You can do God's work at the grocery store. You can do God's work everywhere, and you should be doing that. But here's what we're supposed to do. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Jesus is coming back. Yes, it's weird and strange sounding. But everybody knows that somewhere, maybe, you know, some people are saying a billion or 10 billion years out, but everybody knows this is going to end. This is not a permanent thing here, uh, this planet that we live on. It came into existence. It's going out of existence. And God says, this is the way it's going to happen. And I'm going to trust him in that. Let's pray. Father, I know you're here with us today, and it's just really hard to wrap our minds around all these things that we read, but we trust that they are true, and we want to live as though they are true, and we can only do that by your grace 
and your power and your leadership. And we ask you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.